1994, there was a young lady in Rwanda that knew that they were going to come upon destruction. She was in her early teens, and her family was aware that the nearby community, the nearby villagers, were going to come to their house and massacre them. In fact, this village was located in a place where a genocide was happening. The father realized this, and he told his little daughter, his youngest child, to go to the specific neighbor's house, where he knew that the girl might be safe. The little girl ran, and she got into the house, and the man put her in a three by four bathroom, along with seven other women, mostly grown women. They could hear screaming. They could hear yelling. The little girl lost 40 pounds as she laid on that bathroom floor for most of those 91 days being hidden. When she finally was able to emerge, she realized that her entire family, but one of her brothers, were massacred. In fact, her entire village, three out of every four, were murdered. Why? Why? What's our response when we can't explain God? That's what we want to ask God often. We want to ask God, why? Why are you letting this happen? Why is this happening to my family? I think of concentration camps or execution camps from the Nazis. It's estimated that 15 to 20 million people were kept in those camps. And so many, so many were killed. Unbelievable amounts were killed through the gas chambers. They were killed through starvation, through disease. They were killed because they were being experimented on. These people probably were asking, why? No, they might have been asking, how long, God? How long do we have to suffer through this? How long do we have to keep going? Life is truly a mystery. Life is a mystery. When we brought Reggie home to America, Reggie was sick. He was very sick, actually. He actually alluded to it uh, in his baptism video, and I don't know if you caught that, that God helped heal him. And he was referring back to when he was sick. Here's an email I got from Sherry on Friday, June 3rd, 2011. It was 7.32 in the morning. I was at uh, the school, and here's what Sherry said to me, quote, Dr. Tupin called. We, all capital letters, have to get those pills down Reggie immediately. He has four parasites, and they are serious. One 
of his especially can cause major diseases and other issues, including uh, affecting his liver. I told Reggie, I told Doc that Reggie has not been eating, and he seems off, and he says it's because of this. He says we have to get it down him right away. Our other option is hospitalization and putting a feeding tube in to get three pills down. They are calling in the three pills. It's one a day. He said to split them in thirds or fourths and put them on the back of his tongue and make him drink. Then he won't taste them. These pills were horrendous uh, in taste. We, we put them down into almost a liquid. We could not get Reggie to take them. Indianapolis said that these parasites were truly eating Reggie from the inside out. He would not eat. He was dying. So we had to take him to the hospital. And we took him to the hospital and they put tubes in him. And, and I think we have a picture. Here's Reggie. That's Reggie with the tube in him. And you'll see on the top right picture, there's me sleeping on the floor and Reggie up in the, because he had the tube connected to him all the time. And that's how we did it for 10 days. I remember at night, occasionally I would catch him. I don't know how. I would catch him as he was rolling off of the couch. I don't know why I didn't just lay him on the floor. He can't fall off the floor. Uh, but that tube saved his life. The medicine that was being fed through that tube saved his life. And then, let's go to the next one, Jake. This is him less than a month later. This is a child who was thriving at that moment. <laughs> Reggie likes that. He literally, his life changed. But Reggie had to wonder, why, Dad? Why, Mom? Why are you letting these people do this to me? Why are they stuffing this thing in my nose and down my throat? Why am I going through this? You see, Reggie didn't know that we were delivering him from harm's way. He didn't have that understanding. He didn't understand the bigger picture. But we knew the bigger picture. We understood that. You can go to the next one, Jacob. When Maddie was about four years old, we, we sprung for the American Girl doll. And if you've ever bought an American Girl doll, it is not cheap. And we got her this beautiful doll, and, 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 and we got the accessories to go with it coming out with those big red bags. And, and after a while, by the way, Maddie still sleeps with that American girl doll and takes it. She went to camp with it. And, and, and after a little while, Maddie named that little American girl doll Khaki. Khaki. She named it Khaki because it was wearing khaki shorts or khaki pants. She named it Khaki because that was the nickname of her great aunt. You see, it was Saturday. The Saturday right after Halloween in 1958. November 1st, 
1958. Khaki, Sherry's great aunt, or Sherry's aunt, and her friend Judy Towson, they, they left uh, playing with some horses. Khaki loved horses. And on their way back in Platteville, Illinois, Khaki and Judy were riding their bikes. Little did Khaki and Judy know, at 11 years old, Molly's age, that a little bit earlier, a guy had been drinking. The guy had got done drinking and decided to head home himself. That man driving his car, loosely and recklessly, about 5 p.m. at night, hit head-on these two little girls. Khaki was first, and she went flying about 50 feet. Died instantly, they believe. Judy Tollison, she flew 15 feet, but she didn't die right away. It took four or five hours before she passed. Sherry's grandparents, Donald and Thelma Hutchinson, they had to be asking the question, why? Why? In fact, Judy's dad uh, drank poison a couple weeks later to try to end it for himself because he couldn't figure out why. He couldn't, he couldn't answer the question, how long, God, do I have to suffer through this? How long? And that's, that's exactly what we see in Scripture with Habakkuk. He sees the danger coming upon him. He sees what's, what's coming, and he's asking, God, what in the world is going on? The Chaldeans, they're coming. And you're going to let us perish. How long is this before you rescue us? Why? Why are you giving us a king that's telling us to worship idols and now our whole country's out of control? Why? How long? In Moses' time, that's what the people were crying out. How long do we have to suffer, God? When are you going to send somebody to save us, to help us? Well, the fact is, we often don't get an answer from God. We often don't get an answer from God or, or, or an answer that, that we think is what we're expecting. I think of Gideon. Gideon was hunkered down. You remember? He, he, was, he was threshing the, the wheat and he was hiding from the Midianites because he didn't want them to take his, take his wheat. And, and, and then all of a sudden an angel appeared to him and, and called him a mighty warrior. Gideon's like, why is this happening? Where are all those wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and given us to the hand of Midian? These are the questions. You're just asking how long, why, and God doesn't answer the way we want many times. Because we don't get the bigger picture. We don't understand it. God tells Gideon, 
just to go fight and know that God was going to be with them. Is that enough? Is that enough to know that God is with you? You know what? We, I, I, I just don't think that we think that's enough. If we're having an issue in our life, in real life, take yourself to today. Because sometimes we, we think that we're, we're 2,500 years ago. The whole message is about today, friends. We look back historically and we see what God has done and praise him for that. But it's about how you're living your life today. And so the question is, is, is it enough to know that God is with us? Or do we have to have all the answers? Do we have to have the solution? In this information age, it seems like we have to have all the answers. We have to know everything. And knowing God is not enough. Habakkuk, he realized the same thing. He keeps asking the questions, why, how long? And God, he doesn't answer those questions. He gives different answers. I guess I'm challenging all of us, myself included, we need to spend more time in his word. We need to spend more time in his word. Psalm 25, 4 says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. You see, spending time in God's word isn't about just gaining knowledge. One thing we understand is that we can, we can know an absurd amount of facts. We can have tremendous amount of knowledge, but our faith is all about a set of beliefs. It's about getting to know someone with a capital S. It's about getting to know the creator, the one who holds all the mysteries of the universe. That's what reading scripture is about. A couple weeks ago, I used this exact same scripture, Psalm 46.10. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Think about that. I will be exalted. At the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is the Lord. I will be exalted, no matter what, in the end, period. Can I get an amen for that? That is awesome. Knowing that God does not offer answers to us all the time, we need to spend time in his word, and we need to be holding fast to our faith in him. We have to be holding fast to our faith in him. Habakkuk 2, 4b. We know it. It's the big verse in Habakkuk that we go to all the time. But the righteous shall live by what? Faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Our faith is everything. Our faith is everything. Hebrews eleven six 6 reminds us that having faith 
is important because it pleases God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The other day we learned from Josh Orn, God accounts us as righteous if we have faith. Genesis 15, 6. And he believed the Lord, referring to Abraham, and he counted it to him as righteousness. With faith, we can live forever with God. Galatians 3.11, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. With faith, prayers can be answered. With faith, we can have hope. We can walk in the light in this world. Faith serves as a shield for us. Faith. With faith, God forgives our sins. It's a source of peace and joy in our life. It's a source of overall protection, and it's an assurance of our salvation. See why holding fast to our faith is important? Our faith is everything. That's why we stand up for God. That's why we should stand up for God. That's why we, we hold on to God, knowing that he is enough. That's what faith is. You see, when times get tough, do you lose your faith? A lot of times that's where anger comes in. Do you have an anger problem? It's because you've lost faith in something. Habakkuk, I don't know if he was losing his faith. I don't think so. But he's questioning God on his timing. Why he was allowing it to happen. I don't think he was saying that God was doing it wrong. But he just wanted to know why. Why? Why? It actually brings us to our final point. Because we need to thank God. We need to thank God. Which comes to our scripture for the day. Verses 3 through 15 Habakkuk does something uh, a little bit interesting. He writes two poems, two psalms, if you will. The first one is in verses 3 through 7. Here's what it reads. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise, his brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. This first poem, it describes God leading his redeemed people, guiding his redeemed people from the outward, from the outland toward the place where they would cross the Jordan River. What a beautiful way for Habakkuk 
to praise God, to talk about the great things you've done, he's done, the deliverance of the people from Egypt, the journey to Mount Sinai, and the movement from Sinai to the Jordan River. Just like Moses did. Moses commented about this in his final blessing to Israel. Deuteronomy 33, 1 through 2. This is what Moses said. This is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the people of Israel before his death. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Beautiful. Habakkuk ends this poem after talking about the great punishments that were brought about the people and that the evil that was done. And then he said that anyone, anyone that would come against God's people would be trembling. That they should be in fear. What, what a powerful point Habakkuk has come to in his whole, um, we'll call it discussion with God. Then he gives the second poem. Verses 8 through 15 in chapter 3. Here's what the second poem reads. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying them bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of, the of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. Are we writing stuff like that? Are we praying to God like that? I mean, that's what he's doing. He's praying back to God. He's rejoicing to God of all the things that he has done. He's talking about God's victories, especially how God used the natural forces that he has uh, the ability to use whenever he wants. We see the crossing of the Red Sea, the crossing of the Jordan. Habakkuk even highlighted the fact that God can use everything at his discretion. Everything. And I think we forget that. That God has use of anything he desires. In, in, in this world, he is in control. In this universe, he is in control. God's purpose is to be seen not so much in the fury of nature. His purpose isn't uh, his ferocious assault against the enemy. That's not what Habakkuk is highlighting. He's highlighting the fact that God has a desire to do what? To save his people. 
you realize that God has that desire to save his people? Verse 13, it speaks of the anointed. The anointed. Commentators have, have argued, is that Moses? Or is that the Messiah, Jesus Christ? The anointed. Habakkuk ends with a vivid picture. And you probably heard it. If you read, if you read it before, if you prep for this, getting ready to learn today and read the scripture how, how it gives that vivid picture of, of Pharaoh's ambitions just being drowned out. As the Red Sea came upon all of his people, all of his warriors and their horses, and, and just killed them because God could. God was protecting his people. The point of these two psalms just as God led his people victoriously out of Egypt, out of, uh, through the Red Sea, onto Sinai, up to Sinai, and through the wilderness, through the Jordan River, and into the Promised Land, he can and he will lead his people in triumph over his enemy. That's, that's his whole point. But only, only, and I stress this, only at God's appointed time. Only in his appointed way. Only with his strength. See, those are the things that we question so much. His time, does he have the ability? Does he have, to, uh, when is he going to do it? Is he ever going to do it? God will do it. On his, on his watch. And Habakkuk realized that he needed to be still. He needed to be quiet before God. Well, just like Habakkuk, our thankfulness should be for his never-changing sovereignty. Last three verses. His never-changing sovereignty. We need to realize that circumstances change, but God doesn't. You might want to write that one down. Circumstances change, but God doesn't. You may have suffered a, an injury that's going to cause you to be handicapped, the rest of your life. That's a circumstance. God hasn't changed. You may have got fired from your job and you have no money and no way of getting food on the table. That's a circumstance. God still hasn't changed. Your child may have got hit by a car your circumstances have changed but God hasn't verses verse 17 and 18a by the way these were the verses I chose for uh, Travis and Caitlin at their wedding verses 17 through 18a 
Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. So many things in your life cause these circumstances to change. Life may be happy, or it may be sad. Life may be fun, or it may be scary. You may be uh, having a great time, or you may be fighting. But it's dependent on our circumstance, or our perspective, I should say. Our perspective is always skewed. Farmers are sad when it rains sometimes because they got too much rain already. And other times, they're saying, please, let it rain because they haven't got enough. It's all about perspective. Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Man, it doesn't change. You guys know Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He doesn't change. God humbled himself when he became a little tiny boy. God doesn't have to humble himself and change. God has perfect plans from before we understood time until after we don't understand time. So that's eternity. He has it all planned out already. He already knows what's going to happen. And it's already done in the books. He knows what's going to happen. He doesn't change. He doesn't vary. I may not be able to rejoice in my life situation in the, in the horrible situation going on in my life, I may not be able to rejoice in it, but I can always rejoice in the sovereignty of God. What did he say at the end of that? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Life stinks at times. It really does. Life is tough. That argument that you're having with your kid that accident that happened, that bank account that's negative, that jerk at work. All of those are just stuff that's happening. The sovereignty of God is perfect, and we should rejoice in it. And that's why people, when they see us, they see something different. They see us as people who are rejoicing no matter what our circumstances. Julie and I were just talking about this today. No matter who you're with, Muslim, Hindu, Christian, non-Christian, you should be, they should see 
that you are rejoicing in God. You're rejoicing in his sovereignty. When you're helping your neighbor, when you're playing basketball, when you're going to school, whatever you're doing, when you're arguing about your, your direct TV bill, just rejoice in God in the midst of that and say, okay, I'm going to rejoice in the sovereignty of God. He already knows the outcome of this. He already knows how this is going to work. I'm not asking for you to, to be stepped on and be abused. I'm asking for you to rejoice in God. I'm telling myself to rejoice in God always. That's what Habakkuk is saying. No matter what's going on, if everything's going against me, rejoice in God. Rejoice in God. Because Habakkuk's painting a bleak portrait of the future. He's painting a bleak picture of that. But he looks away and he knows that God is always the same. He knows that God is the great I am. You and I, we don't know exactly what God's up to. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But we can always trust that he's doing the right thing. That's what our children do at least when they're kids. Allie turns 18 tomorrow. Is she not a kid at that point? She's always my kid, I think. Reggie trusts me. Reggie trusts Molly. Whatever I do, whatever I tell them to do, they will trust. They may be nervous, but they will, they'll jump You've seen that all the time, jump into the pool. Jump, Dad! And, and then they take a huge leap, and they just trust us. And we are so faulty. We make so many mistakes. The amount of times that, that I've done something wrong to Reggie is crazy amount. Meaning, I, I, I said I would do this, and I didn't do it. Or I said I, I'd help him with this and I forgot about it. Or, or maybe I growled back at him and it was just because I was annoyed by something else. See, that's not the way God is. God is perfect. Phil is not perfect. You are not perfect. But God is perfect. We could trust in him. Salvation does not depend on things going well. That's great for us. Salvation rests solely, solely on the grace and the power of God. God's, we need to be thankful because God never ceasing salvation.
verse 18 says, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. My salvation will not be affected by my life circumstances. I need to keep focusing on my faith in who God is and rejoice over that. I told you earlier about Judy and Khaki. Life is uncertain. Life is uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen today after we walk out of here. We don't know what's going to happen in, in 12 seconds. My computer tells me that the word salvation means preservation or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. It reminds me that this world is not my home. Jesus is coming to rescue and deliver his children one day. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are headed to a better land. That's what salvation. 1 Peter 1, 3-4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Habakkuk realized that he could lose everything. That he could lose everything. The Chaldeans could come in just like that little gal from Rwanda. They could come in and they could take everything away from me. But through Habakkuk's continued faith in God, he couldn't lose his salvation from the earthly stuff that was lost. John 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No matter what, we should be thankful, because God's salvation never ceases. Finally, Habakkuk reminds us that our thankfulness should be for his never-collapsing strength. His never-collapsing strength. Verse 19 says, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Our strength does not lie within us. The Lord is our strength. Isaiah 40, 31. Many of you know that verse. But they who wait on the, for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Philippians 4, 13. Definitely a lot of you know that. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. When we're unable to stand... God gives us the ability. When we can't go on, he helps us. 
When we are deep in the valley, he leads us to higher ground. Habakkuk speaks of the deer. I thought this was an interesting thing. I, I couldn't understand why he was speaking of the deer. You see, the deer he was speaking of would climb up these side of these mountains with sharp rocks and, and, and tough angles. And, and these deer could somehow maneuver and, and keep their feet and the ground locked together and, and, and work their way all the way to the top of the mountain. You see, it's impossible for us to, to take care of this life and, and to go in this life because we have so many sharp rocks, so many tough things that we have to climb up. But God gives us the footing. He gives us the strength so we can keep going. As you're lying there in bed, worried about whatever it is, God gives you the strength. Keep going. I'm sovereign. My salvation never ceases. I am the same today, yesterday, forever. Keep climbing. I will give you a footing. That's beautiful. That's beautiful to understand. Job realized this. You remember Job, and, and he realized this. Job 1, 20 through 21. Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Many of you have prayed and said those words. You've given me, God. You've taken away. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Paul realized it. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It's God's power. The other day, Bill told me that he went with Josh Nielsen, to go throw some stuff away at, at the dump or at the recycling place, and, and Josh picked up a washing machine or something, picked it up and threw it. Are you kidding me? Who does that? Okay, Pastor Dave might. Those two are weak. without God. Strongest man in the world is nothing without God. Yeah, for this time being, that's, you're pretty strong. You know, the person with the most toys wins, they say. The person who has the most cash They're nothing without God. It's good to have money. I, I, I think it's wonderful for people who have a lot of money who use it for God's glory. And, and I mean, that's how a lot of missionaries survive with people who have a lot of money. 
There's great use. Many people are rich throughout Scripture. Many people are extremely wealthy throughout Scripture and serve God well. But all of the money in the world means nothing. It means absolutely nothing without God. Because God is where all the power is. God is where all the strength is. I left out verse 16. I don't know if anyone noticed that. Guarantee Dave did. Verse 16 says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. True terror gripped Habakkuk. You know, you wonder, did God give him a picture, an actual vision of what was going to happen? Did he get a vision uh, of what was about to come upon them? Habakkuk stood still, absolutely silent. See, we read the scripture straight down. This may have taken a month to write because he may have just stopped and just praised God and stood still before him. He was shaking. His lip was quivering. You ever been that scared? We have these back steps coming up towards our bedroom, and if the light's not on, my kids are terrified. I don't know what they think, that, that we have a secret portal for people to sneak in on those dark stairs. Molly came sprinting up yesterday as I asked her to bring me the cord from downstairs. And I said, what were you, what were you running for? I was scared. I said, of the guy who stands on the steps? She goes, no, I'm not going downstairs. She was trembling. She, I mean, she was visibly scared. You see, Habakkuk, he's saying that exact same thing. Except for his terror, his fear was real. He knew the Chaldeans were coming upon. God just told him they were. And he's shaking, knowing it's about to happen. He's no longer going to question God's purposes. He's merely going to just be quiet and patiently wait for his purposes to be realized. He's, he's vastly changed his tone. These 55 verses, he started at one point and he's finishing it at another point. He went from questioning to surrendering. And in the end, I think the one word that I could use is humbled. Habakkuk humbled himself before the Lord. That's what I need to do. Maybe you need to do that too. Maybe you haven't truly humbled yourself before the Lord. I'm not just talking about, I, I don't want to say this lightly, giving your life to God, submitting to him is an awesome thing. Watching Reggie and, and Molly praise Jesus through baptism 
wonderful thing. But the daily humbling before God is something we lack. You know why? Because we are too busy. We are too busy worrying about getting something else, doing something else. I have trouble humbling myself before God in an intentional way where I'm talking to him and praising him. We should tremble. We should tremble every day as we work out our salvation because we are to work unto the Lord serve him every single day knowing that greater men than I have fallen rejoicing in the fact that God is the great I am we get to serve the king we get to serve Jesus Christ I mean, we really get to serve him. And you do that. You serve a king by humbling yourself. 